Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Above Board with Candor Path. We have the John K, the Matthew M. We don't have the Rich B. He's traveling. He is a very busy guy. But I think, Matt, we have him next week, right? I think so. Yeah, we, we, miss, we miss the Rich B. Um, but I'm glad to be here with you, the Prez. Um, it's it's good to be back on another episode. Hashtag Prez. Yeah, what's up, buddy? See, you have, that's your nickname for me. He, he's got another one that he wants me to do for social. I forget what it is. It's like Johnny B. Quick or something. I don't like <laughs> either of them, if I can be honest. I'm still working <laughs> on my own. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out. Um, so, guys, last week we talked about this topic called loss fatigue. And for all of our listeners, you know, it's, it's we, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, you see what's going on in the economy and the markets. Um, and so we wanted to really kind of face that conversation head on and talk about what, what, what is this feeling that we're all experiencing? And it's called loss fatigue. And Michael Scott did a great job for us talking about that. We're going to continue that conversation. Um, and we're going to, we're going to keep talking about loss, Matt, right? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I can't wait for the day that we can talk about gains and winning and strong economy and what are we going to do with our our extra earnings and where can we put it and all of these fun topics but i suppose in the meantime we could talk about doom and gloom and all kidding aside i feel like and we've said this to our clients this is the time that you need a financial advisor right when the market's going up when everything is fine not that you don't need one then but uh, i think people think they can do this on their own and hey this job is pretty easy you throw a few darts um and yet you hit the right winnings and everything's great really where you need professional help is when it goes down. So again, a lot of those topics we talked about the, our, our last podcast was taking the emotion out of the investing and, yeah. um, and, and not looking at things in a micro um, standpoint, but looking at more of a macro. So there's a lot of things that can be done, um, but I can't wait to talk about the good times when they come back <laughs> around again. Well, for today though, we're going to put the emotion back into it because um you know, we, we said this at the last podcast, but losing hurts more than winning feels good. And it's funny because that's something that I've said before often in meetings. And it wasn't until recently when I actually just Google searched that term. And what I realized is there is a legitimate cognitive bias that many of us experience and it's called loss aversion. So it's this idea that the pain of losing is psychologically twice as powerful as the pleasure of gaining. And this goes back, Matt, to like the 70s and 80s where they did studies and I mean, someone won like a Nobel Peace Prize for identifying this, actually, that, um, you know, we react differently um, to negative versus positive changes in our life. And and research has shown that this stat is is accurate, that losses are twice as powerful than uh, than their equivalent gains. Um, So like put it very simply. You know, for a lot of folks, when they think about losing and gaining, it's better not to lose a hundred bucks than to find a hundred dollars, which is wild, right? Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy, and I, I think um, when we we bring this back to our industry, that there's um, history doesn't always uh, the the bad parts of our industry oftentimes pop their heads out. Yeah. So what do I mean by that? This this thought of losses will never come back or these bad times are just are just horrible a lot of it we look back at history and can pick out bits and pieces where that did where that did come to fruition and i think again what we kind of talked about on our pre-call here john was looking at things from trying not to be emotional but also yeah. realizing that things aren't terrible all the time 
it, there's there's bits and pieces and there's pockets in there and oftentimes those pockets actually turn into opportunities uh, another thing that i had that i had researched in preparation for this and we we actually we didn't touch on this in the pre-call but there was uh there was a study done at yale um and it was i don't know which animal it was an animal study so i don't even know if this is it's like poor animals talking about. <laughs> i don't oh, know but, so, we don't believe so. that animal testing is a funny thing i i do take it very seriously i own a beagle and they are notoriously so animal tested because they're such docile animals so this is not a funny topic so john please stay serious i own half a beagle he's a sheagle he's sheagle, a shiba yeah. inu and a beagle anyway so this researcher um, would offer two pieces of an apple for one token, uh, but then sometimes would only give one piece, uh, you know, one piece of the apple, not two pieces. And then another researcher would come in and offer one piece of an apple, but sometimes surprise them with another. And so like the, the moral of the story was that despite averaging out to have the same amount of apple slices, um, the animals favored the bonus researcher. The one who, instead of taking one away, gave one just by surprise, you know, gave an extra, you know, an extra piece of an apple for, you know, two pieces of an apple for one token. And so you think about just this whole like averaging out thing and then kind of comparing that to the market, the market, we do the same thing in the investing world over and over again. So most, mo like most folks hardly ever notice when the markets go up, it's like, great, that's what it's supposed to do. But they sure pay attention when things go down. Um, and then the worst thing that you could do is like after enough losses, you know, you, you, you say, I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm going to sell at the, you know, at the lowest level, which is, is that rational for sure? Not. Um, but you know, the idea that we want to buy low and sell high, easy to say, and easy to say in, in theory, very, very difficult to do in practice. And so I think to Matt, your point, you know, it's, it's trying to, I guess maybe putting things in perspective a little bit, right? Yeah, and we we oftentimes look at at the market, and we'll, we'll kind of keep this conversation geared towards the market. That there's this imaginary line that occurs every December thirty first, right? That that we we compare everything against to this this imaginary line that that truly does not exist, right? And so when we're having, I, I just recently, you know, we're having lots of meetings with our clients because we're trying to stay in front of them so that they're educated, that they know that someone's looking at their portfolios, that that this is again the time they need us. Mm. I oftentimes in these meetings pull up our, our year to date numbers or our, our quarter to date numbers. And, and we talk about that and we talk about what we've experienced during that time. And then I, <laughs> I slowly begin backing out that picture and I'd look at the, the true 365, uh, a number, and then I'll back it out and look at the five-year number. And then we start to realize that there isn't this line that occurs every single December 31st. And we just reset our expectations for the portfolio investing is a is a long-term perspective and that's the that's the way that you have to look at it and it's not bad looking at it from 1231 i think you got to have some of these metrics in place but getting uh, having that loss fatigue as we went as we talked about in our last call or getting ready to throw in the towel because your 1231 number is not where you need it to be or your you know your year-to-date number is not not where you need it to be is a real big mistake and back mm -hmm. to john's point it is incredibly easy to get out of the market i mean it, it's literally the click of a button to take all investments and sell to cat and go to cash. It is next to impossible to know when to go back in. Yeah. Right? To know yeah. to when to know go to go back in. Are you going back in on an upswing? Or has the market continued rallied and now it's getting ready to come back down again? Those are things that we have no idea about. So yeah. what we preach to our clients, again, 
is the tenants, the basis of financial planning, which is have a budget, have savings, yeah, um, have a plan for your investments, rebalance against that plan, make, make some small incremental changes. What we don't preach is large dramatic movements in and out and in and out. History has shown us that that has not worked. Yeah. And, and we cannot predict where the markets are going to go. I think the reason that you're explaining and why, why you like relying on some of these principles and tried and true methods. So meaning if you have a plan in place and you can kind of go back to that um, frame of reference, then you can, you can know that it's going to be okay when, when things are not doing good and, and um, you know, losing creates, it creates a gap between like I should, and I did. So when you start to, when you start to experience loss and, and actually I'm, I'm, um, you're so good because you're keeping it very related to what we do. I'm I'm kind of trailing off into like other areas of life, um, but it can start to create this sense of self doubt. So think about like what you know when you're when you're winning, when you're doing good things in life, when things are just clicking for you. What happens? You gain confidence. The more confidence you have, um, the more action you can take when it's needed, and you, you just kind you can kind of keep moving forward, and you've got this positive momentum on your side that's bringing success, right? Like, you know, we've all experienced that at points in life. Like when things are clicking, you might even say that to somebody like, oh man, things are just clicking right now. It's because you've gained confidence. You've won a few ones and, and you just, you kind of keep rolling with that. Um, losing, losing losses can experience the, the exact opposite effect. It's like things are piling up. Now we're feeling insecure. We start doubting ourselves. We start hesitating on our decision-making um, and, and I think in the, as it relates to like the markets, it, it could, it could create that same sense. If you don't either, let's say work with a professional or you, you don't have a, a plan that you can recall back to and say, okay, this is what we knew this would happen and that's okay. And we're going to keep moving forward. It's really easy, or it could be really easy to allow that, that, um, that self doubt to start to, to kind of, to, to seep in. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about with this is you almost have to like train for it. You got to like prepare for it. You got to plan for it for loss, right? Like we want success, but we should be able to train for loss. We, we like, it needs to be okay to expect mistakes to happen, failures to happen, losses to happen in life. And you got to almost like train yourself to do what's a little counterintuitive, buy low, sell high, like that type of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I think it's it, like going back to your point of experience and again, you, you're, you're, you're talking about life in general and I keep bringing it back to finance and I think there's, <laughs> well, there's, a a healthy, there's a healthy balance between the two of those, but looking at where we're at from, um, the, the experience part of it, um, sitting, sitting here on this podcast, we have a combined, I don't know, 30, 35 years of experience. And that included, um, 2001, 2002, that, in, that included 2008, 2009, that included, yeah. um, you know, the 2020 that included uh, what we're dealing with right now in 2022 experience has, has really provided us the backbone to why we do what we do and going yeah. through, I, I, the, the best learning lesson I've ever had was going through 2008, <laughs> 2009. What do you do when everything is at the worst? How do yeah. you handle that? Yeah. What, what is the right action to take? And that that was a, a huge learning lesson for me, and that really shaped for me the next um, you know fifteen years of 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 how I deal with clients and how our firm now yeah. handles clients and going through this loss that we see in twenty twenty two. So okay, so I have four I have four actionable ideas on things that one can practically practically do um, to 
deal with this whole cognitive experience of loss aversion. The one that we just sort of really went deep on is, is training for it or, or preparing for it. Um, another one that I really like is, is what's called framing. So it's basically a way to just sort of like influence our own perception on, on loss aversion. So we can look at th- We can choose to see how we look at things and we can highlight the, the positive or the gain as opposed to the loss. So like for me, um, you know, I did this whole like fitness challenge last year called 75 hard. And what's, what's interesting about that is there were points in time where I failed it. And when you fail it, you have to start over. And, um, you know, I'll give you the best example I can give the first, the first time I did it, I failed it like the first month in. And instead of looking at it and going, well, man, like the last 30 days I ate clean, I did the right things. I drank a gallon of water. I've been working out every day. And actually like I lost weight and I felt a lot better and just like in, in that 30 day period. But all I could think about was, I can't believe I failed, you know, and then, and then what happened, right? Like loss has momentum too. So I, I didn't succeed it the first go round. And then for like the next week or so, maybe my diet kind of fell off. I didn't work out every day the way I was, what the way I was wanting to. And so like the framing of it, I'm like in my own feels of that situation. I'm upset with myself instead of being able to look back and go, man, for the last like month, month and a half, I'm, I'm better off today than where I was a month. It was a huge success. Right. Right. And I think, you know, I, you know, not, not that, well, no, this does correlate. This does actually correlate really well. You know, if you have a million dollars and a million dollars grows into $1.5 million, um, unfortunately that's the new line in the sand. That's the new watermark that you're talking, uh, you know, that, that you're talking about. And if it falls to 1.3, many of us would look at that and go, we just lost 200 K, but did we really, or did we actually gain 300,000? Right. Um, it's kind of that same idea. And so I, I feel like for me that applies, uh, you know, both just like in a lot of different personal areas in my life too. So framing, we can frame it, we can train for it. Um, another one that I wanted to talk to you about, Matt, is just kind of like, I guess maybe putting it in perspective. So like, I, I, I kind of want to talk about, um, you know, where we were in our careers before we started Canter Path and then starting Canter Path, like, mm-hmm what a massive change that could be for, for was for us or for anybody starting a business. Um, I remember saying to you at one point, like the risk of, so, so when I say putting it in perspective and you're really, really, really good at this, Matt is you go into a situation and you identify like, what's my worst case scenario? Like what, what is going to be the worst possible outcome that could occur if I were to do this thing? And you talk to a lot of clients about that too, not even like market related, but clients who are starting their own business or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk through what is your, what's going to put what's you the in downside? the worst. Yeah. What's yeah. the downside yeah. and what's the worst possible downside? And I remember, um, you know, we had that conversation and my, my comment was honestly, the risk of being like marginally satisfied and like marginally okay with my career and where I'm at in my life. Um, far outweighs the risk of starting a business and failing a business because if I start and fail a business, like we can, you know, you, you can, you can always go back to, mm-hmm. to W2 employment and be, you know, be an employee somewhere. And so that was kind of a, a perspective that was really helpful for me. What do you think about that? Like putting loss yeah, in perspective. I, and I think, and, and my, you know, the career that we've chosen 
oftentimes, and I, not that I'm negative and I'm not a glasses half empty kind of guy, but I look to any decision we make is what's, what's the worst case scenario? Because yeah. what, what keeps us up at night is, is thinking about those worst case scenarios. So let's, let's get that. Let, let's not have that subconscious. Let's yeah. have that out in the conscious part of our mind and say, okay, what, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? Yeah. We're going to fail. We're going to have to <laughs> go back, you know, go dip through our savings and we're going to have to go back and, and get a, a job at, at a, you know, get a W-2 and, and, be, and be an employee rather than be an employer or start a business. Yeah. Okay. So what can I do to control that? Well, I can yeah. work my hardest and I can outwork any problem that comes our way. And that was really the foundation of our company was we would outwork any problem. Yeah. And we've now gotten to a point where we, we we've proven success and that, that, that the yeah. model has worked and we don't have that. Now, not to say there's not other fears and worries now that we're bigger. We have, a, we have a, a group of six now. So it's not just John and myself anymore. If we fail, okay, we'll just go back and get jobs. We have people now that are, that, that look to us for the leadership yeah. and that look to us for, um, you know, keeping, keeping our company intact. So now there's a whole new set of, of issues, but we talk about those and, and really that's frankly that's where a lot of we've talked about this in the past eos model yeah is looking at yeah. our problems looking at on a weekly basis where are the issues and let's talk about those and let's not just have those wake us up in the middle of the night and have a nightmare of oh my gosh what are we going to do in this situation that yeah. has really helped me out tremendously and again i give a lot of credit to the systems that john has put into place to force those conversations to happen Oh, thank you. It's just the love fest oh, over boy, here today. Geez, look at us too. Well, but so, and what I was thinking is like, just to, to go back to that time of life, you know, we, we make the decision to start Canter Path. And for, for anyone listening to this, that's you know, not in the industry, which many people listening to this are not in the industry. Um, you know, there's a lot of statistics out there that say like, Hey, when you, when you leave a company and you start your own financial planning company, like you lose X percentage of clients. Um, and we had the good fortune, pat ourselves on the back here, that we really didn't lose uh, any clients. And it was because of part of it was was attributable to how we handled the situation, you know, meeting everyone face to face, talking to them about what this means to us and why we're making this decision and all that good stuff. Um, but my point is, prior to that decision and thinking through it, I looked at that and I thought, OK, what's what's the worst case scenario? Um, statistics uh, studies say in our industry that somewhere between a third to half of your clients will leave you and we'll go somewhere else and work with, you know, we'll, we'll won't choose not to go with you on this new venture. Um, and I looked at that and I thought that that risk is worth it because a, I don't think that we have such passion behind what we do that I never thought that that statistic really would ring true for our client, for the clients we worked with. But B, I just thought that's worth it because I, I, I want to be happy. I want to be able to do financial planning the way that we see financial planning should be done. And, um, you know, it was, I think for anybody starting a business, that's another way to look at it is like, or just not starting a business, like any new venture, any new thing that you're going to do, what's the worst case scenario. Can you deal with the potential outcome of the worst case scenario? And then if so, great, like now we can move forward with it. Um, so framing, putting things in perspective, training or preparing for it. Um, and then you advocated for this earlier, Matt, but uh, professional help. And mm -hmm. so, I, you know, for me, it's like, I, I look at this as not in the lens of financial planning, although financial therapy is a real thing. And I think we get to, we get the opportunity to provide financial therapy a lot. Um, 
but also maybe like traditional forms of therapy. Like if you're the type of person that focuses on the negative, focuses on the loss, you have this, you have this cognitive bias towards loss aversion. And I think for me anyway, at one point, like I, I couldn't get out of my own way because I have this. Um, there's a quote that I read that it says the good times we put in our bad pocket and the hard times we put in our, into our heart, meaning we hang on to the, the bad things and we just sort of put aside all the good stuff. The good things happen and it's like, oh, it's supposed to happen. And we just keep moving along, moving along. And then something bad happens and we sit in it and we weigh on it and we let it, you know, we let it get, get us down. Um, you know, Matt, you've been open uh, to talk about this on the show before. Like you and I both did hypnotherapy at one point. Yeah, we are, we are that messed up that we needed to know. I'm just <laughs> yeah. kidding. It's not. We're not. We're actually very level-headed. But John, whenever John John does try a lot of different things, 75 yeah, hard man. and every wearable um, device on planet Earth, uh, this guy has had on his body at some point. I want to so get a John cold is plunge our... tub. I want to get a cold <laughs> plunge tub for the house. Yeah, you're, we'll talk about the that. The HOA is not going to allow you to put a cold plunge tub in the backyard. Um but uh, um, yes, hypnotherapy was something John John gave a, a shot, and I said, "Listen, if you do it, I'll do it." And and so we actually had some pretty good breakthroughs from that, man. I thought you were about to say cryotherapy, which I also did cryotherapy <laughs> for my neck pain, but that's a different story. So yeah, I mean, what was unique for me about this was, um, and I won't go. In, I mean, you can Google what hypnotherapy is. I think most people know what it is, but it, it is it, it was really unique and. I went through these series of exercises with the therapist and basically went to these like traumatic points of time in my childhood. And it was really just, it was interesting to me to think about, I mean, for, like I had a great childhood. Like I, I had a good upbringing. I had, uh, I was a happy kid. And yet I was able to pinpoint these like several, for me, it was like striking out at the plate at like eight years old. And I can remember this memory now. And it's so interesting to think how this core memory of this one bad experience I had then perpetuated this negative cycle of every time I came to the plate and the nerves I would feel. And then, you know, then I started getting nauseous, like I'd feel physically sick before games and all this stuff because of like drawing back to one negative experience. So these core memories, you know, it's so easy to have a bad one. Um, and make a bad one and not a good one, right? And I think, I mean, I, I don't know if that was your experience when you did hypnotherapy. I know that that was kind of a weird, unconventional it, thing to do, but. Yeah, you know, I, I had a whole different set of issues that we we talked about. We we went back in time and we talked to little Matthew and told Ooh. him everything was going to be okay. <clears throat> and we did a, a few of those things. Yeah. Well, going back to yours, and as you were telling me that, I was, of course, always thinking, how can I apply this back to our to our business? Mm -hmm. And I think it goes back to worrying about what you can control. Yeah. So let's take this back to finance now, because we've been on your side of the table here for a while, and I think it's time to take it back to finance, John. So yes, talking sir. to talking about using using your baseball analogy, what can you control? Well, you can't you can't control the pitch that's coming at you, right? That's mm -hmm. out of your control. But what can you control is your swing mechanics, is yeah. your mental preparation for that game is how much you've practiced, how, how much batting practice did little Johnny do before standing up to that plate? And taking that back to our <laughs> industry, let's worry about what we can control. Yeah. So looking at your finances here at 2022, where again, not, not a ton has gone right from a market standpoint. We can't control the market. Right? That's completely out of our control. Well, what can we control? We control yeah. how much we have exposed to the market. 
and and whether that that exposure that we have if it's a 70 30 portfolio where 70 percent of it is in stocks and 30 percent of it is in is in other places or fixed income you might say gosh i i can't stomach that we need to make a change there we need to change the exposure Mm -hmm. or you might say wow i've had a dip into my investments and i've had to sell them while they're down that tells us that that we didn't do a really good job of having emergency savings or, or, or staying on budget Worrying about the things that we can control takes a lot away from worrying about what the market is doing. And let's yeah. eliminate market and let's eliminate watching CNBC every day and watching the Kramers of the world with his sleeves rolled up talking about what to buy and what to sell and, and turning what we have as a profession into gambling, which I'm a, a huge proponent against that belief. Sure. Um, and, and, have, and look at it for what we can control. And what's the point of us investing? What's the point yeah. of having our money in the market? It's, it's to grow. It's, it's to grow our money with the economy. It's not to double our money overnight. It's, yeah. it's to have growth and to participate in our economic gains and get our mindset right. Again, going back to little Johnny standing up the plate, the mindset needs to be in the right place of why we're standing here at, at, at home plate getting ready to swing. Mm-hmm. And then now let's focus on what we can control, the swing mechanics, the practicing, and again, the, the budgeting, the, the the emergency savings, and and what our plan is uh, for for exposure to the market. And I think if we can do that, yeah, and with the help of a professional, with the help of a professional swing coach, there for little Johnny is saying, remember why we're doing this, and here's what we need to focus on, and then having that professional swing coach come and meet with you maybe three or four times a year to say, remember why we're doing this now. That is a recipe for success. I really feel like accepting that losses will happen both in life and markets and whatever, you know, part, part of it is just going into this, being prepared that this type of thing will occur. Um, but the fear of incurring losses can really prevent us from making really good worthwhile returns. If we're talking about the market or just returns in life, like we could take well-calculated risks, as you said, if if you understand you know how you're invested what we're you know what's what the allocation is what you're doing in the portfolio so um matt i feel like you try you like to lean on the out of the four recommendations um i'm hearing train for it prepare for it that's kind of the one of them and then and then obviously the professional help side have you know having a, a financial person if if in in the conversation of loss aversion we're talking about finances uh, or it could be like a traditional therapist if it's a conversation of like cognitive um biases of 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 loss and i also don't want to dismiss if someone's listening to this and says i've i really have experienced real loss and and let's take it back to the investment side our industry frankly has has done a horrible job um a in in setting Hmm. expectations b i would say in regulations right the bernie madoffs of the world um Stand, stand out in people's minds. This could all go to zero, um, and and due due to not having the budget in place or, or having cash flow, but but having fraud. Right, fraud is a big part of our industry, and I think that's where for us as consumers and us as a, as investors is a do does what I have passed the sniff test. Right, mm-hmm. the markets are down this year, and if my investments are up forty percent, something doesn't seem right there. Right. And that, that's kind of what was going on in, in some of the fraud situations that occurred in our industry. Um, so that's the first thing. The second is diversification. Right. Those who worked for Lehman Brothers and had all of their investments in Lehman Brothers stock 
would be listening to this call right now or our podcast right now and saying, guys, that's that's total BS. I've I've lost everything and I I I had a budget and I had uh you know a professional help and all these things. But what did they not do? They did not follow some of the basic tenets of investing, which is diversification. Mm-hmm. Um, passing the sniff test, diversification. So I would say this conversation, there are some real issues that have occurred in the financial mm-hmm. industry that would make people think, wow, what I have could go to zero. But if you follow some of these rules that we continuously talk about, it's not rocket science. There are some very yeah. basic principles that yeah. you should follow. And that if you're listening to this and you're not a client of ours, that your advisor should be following. If these things don't sound and smell right, something needs to be brought up. And, and it's okay to bring these things up to say, am I well diversified? Do I have money in hedge funds or or cryptocurrency? We just see what's happening right now in the, in the crypto space, which is a space that we stay completely out of. But mm-hmm. there are people who have put their money with some fella in the Bahamas that have lost everything. Yeah, that does not pass the sniff test if it if it came across our plate uh, as an option for for clients or for investing. Um, so there are some real things that have occurred in our industry. Um, I wasn't around in 1929 during the the very Great Depression, but again, there were companies sure? that just went. <laughs> I, You're I, a lot I mean, older I'm, than I am. Older than you, John, but. You know, there was things that, that happened there that were unexplainable. I think in this day and age, though, with the ability to have technology at our fingertips and, and see these things in real time, it has eliminated some of those major issues that occurred back then. Um, and then, like I said, regulation is is something that we all need, especially in this space. Um, yeah. But again, do, do your investments pass the sniff test? That's 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 a very valid point. Well, that's definitely that's definitely under the bucket of due diligence for you know the professional help that you that you you know may be seeking. Um, but I think to that end, it is really helpful to have, I think, I think seeking professional help, whether it's financial guidance or, you know, for, for other areas of life, I mean, that can really help you with the other things that I, I like spending time on this conversation today talking about like framing and putting, putting loss into perspective and training and preparing for it. That professional person can kind of help you in all of those areas, which is a lot of what I'm hearing you say. You talked about having... A coach, um, you know, kind of going back to your hypnotherapy, com- you know, we, we've we've seeked, we've sought professional help in areas on our personal life, but make no mistake about it, we we have a business coach ourselves, right? Shout and out so David, yeah, D- David D- David Desell, who is our business coach, oftentimes just acts as our sounding board, right? Yeah. This third party of we're dealing with an issue within our company. How do we how do we deal with that issue? And and being able to have someone who is a third party outside say to us, let me, let me say what you're saying in another way and, and allows us both to sit and look at a problem from a different perspective. We seek outside counsel as well. So I don't want everyone listening to this thinking that uh, we are the professional help that everyone needs. We also seek professional help because we know how important it is to have perspective. We know what it, how important it is to have an outsider looking in and taking the emotion out of a decision and looking mm-hmm. at it more from a nuts and bolts standpoint, or in our case, a ones and zeros standpoint, those mm-hmm. things are incredibly <clears throat> important. And so while, you know, again, I don't think you need professional help in every single element of your life, there are certain areas, especially if you're a business owner, especially if you're an investor, um, is having this person outside looking in, making sure that you're not making decisions purely based upon emotion. Well, you can have, you know, like I said earlier, you can have positive or negative momentum in life. And I think having professional help in that sense of like, we have a business coach with in, in the form of David, 
Um, he's great for us because, you know, when we're, when we're accomplishing our goals and we're moving in the right direction and we feel good about our daily checklist and all the things we want to get done, you know, that's helping us gain confidence. But there are also times that doesn't happen. And he's been there for us to kind of remind us, like, again, putting it in that frame of reference, like remind us, like, guys, look how much is like, look how much you've accomplished, let's say, over this period of time. Like, why are you beating yourselves up about this one thing? when when you've done all these things and and i think even just having that conversation with somebody can be very very helpful um and that doesn't even have to be professional help that could be a, a significant other or a friend or, or what have you so you know we we recognize and through honestly just researching this topic a lot that losing hurts more than winning feels good i mean there is a cognitive bias to that statement it is real and not only not only is it real, it's it's twice as impactful. Like you know, the the, the statement has been well researched that losing hurts twice as much as winning feels good. So, you know, we we love talking about this stuff uh, both within our client community and obviously on this podcast. And I think to leave it with that quote, um, it's from an author and speaker. His name's Les Brown. I looked it up while we were talking to make sure I could cite it correctly. But the good times we put in our pocket, the hard times we put into our hearts. Thanks as always for listening to us here on Above Board with Canterpath. And we will talk to you next time 